movies. Yeah. It's called Planet Home. Yeah, that's what. <laughs> but uh, today's movie you saw in the theater. No, I didn't. I did. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I am like zero for three. Can you can you the describe your setup? Okay, my setup it's I think traditional American suburban home setup. Though I live in a condominium in downtown Toronto, uh, it is um, it is a Amazon Fire TV and or uh, um, uh, like a, a a gaming PC <laughs> hooked up to like a sixty five inch uh, television that is from an exhibition I had. What brand is years the TV? Ago. It's just an LG, like it's four K, but I don't I don't think the quality is great. Is it OLED? Honest, I'm always like. No, and that's I'm always like the blacks aren't black enough. That's no. that's my lament. Yeah, generally. Yeah, I kind of we bought a a really cheap TV. We didn't want one that was too big, and uh, it's it's I think it's a Vizio or RTCL or something. I wanted something that has Roku inside, with so you don't need a separate box. Mm-hmm. But the image quality is pretty bad, and it's 35 inches. But it was all I was trying to motivate myself to still go to the theater. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely you should. I've just been traveling and stuff, so. Yeah. But I think, um, yeah, and I wanted to go see a movie last night, but it wasn't playing. Anyway, regardless, I, w- I, do, I do go to movies. <laughs> I do think it's better, generally. Uh, I do try and pay for movies whenever possible. But you Sometimes can pay for I movies don't. at home. That's, uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's like six, six bucks to rent a movie these days. Yeah. When I was a kid, it was $4. I don't think it's increased that uh, much, really, when you think about it. I think a lot of older movies are two ninety nine to rent. Oh, on like iTunes or something. Yeah, is that does iTunes still exist? I think yeah, I should know this. But I, I, you can also <laughs> rent on Amazon or on YouTube, and uh, it's all the same yeah. price. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's like it's nice to see the you know high quality movie with good sound. But I have a sound bar which pe- will make people's skin crawl. <laughs> it's like I don't even have. I used to have a surround sound setup, but it, it really. It was kind of more distracting than anything, and it took up. I don't know. It was a lot. It was very cluttered. So I have like a Sonos sound bar. But I thought you Sonos now Beam. switch to deluxe headphones. That's the yeah. Way you and if I if I'm alone, I I play. Yeah, it's way better on like and this. I have these noise canceling uh, Sony headphones, and it's way 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 better. It's so because you get like no interfering noise. It's like being in a theater, you know, where they've soundproofed the room and everything. So. That's how I'm listening to you right now. You sound delicious. <laughs> yeah, I also have a new microphone. So. Oh, you do? Yeah. This is your new setup with the... With the shock boom arm. The shock arm. arm yeah. yeah. Much better than a pair of headphones. Yeah, you were using just some, some crappy headphones before. Yeah, <clears> I, was, <throat> I was... Well, I tried a bunch of different ones. But, and I had the, the Shure MV5 that you have. Yeah. And, and, and for, nice for, uh, for our listeners... Yeah, we yeah we optimize for uh, ease of recording, uh, which sometimes means we're traveling while recording, uh, or has in the past. I haven't traveled yet and recorded. Um, Do you have trips coming up? I'm going to San Francisco tomorrow. Hmm. Um, I just got back from Vancouver, and what's cool about being in Vancouver is I was shooting a, like film. I was shooting a, a TV ad, but a very like cinematic TV ad. Were you uh, shooting so on actual film? Um, well, nothing, I don't think it's shot on actual film anymore. Only Tarantino. Yeah, it was shot on like, um, like a very high end camera that was attached to like a crane and stuff like that, um, in the rainforest in Vancouver. 
But let's get into um, to this week's film. As we continue down this road into becoming the world's least listened to podcast about movies <laughs> <laughs> for artists, yeah. uh, exclusively niche uh, area. So niche audience, uh, broad topic. Yeah, and we're going to talk about 1917 today, right? Yeah. yeah. So what did you think? Directed you, by where Sam do we start? Mendes. Sam Mendes, and then, of course, famously shot by Deacons. Uh, what's Deacons' first name? The D- the DP. He yeah, shot a lot of... He, he just, when you hear him talk in an interview, he just sounds like he's been around since uh, the invention of, <laughs> of, like, with the Lumiere brothers. And he's like, yeah, I, I, used to, I used to do gaffer for those guys or whatever. He's done a lot of the Coen Brothers films, I think, mm. which are nothing like 1917. No. Um, Basically, and, but 1917 is like one long music video. Well, you, it does you know, kind of remind me of that. Tr- yeah, like, there was a whole thing of like that Jamiroquai music video. Where yeah, he, I was li- literally about to say the Jamiroquai music video yeah. or like the Tom York drowning video. Yeah, you know, where there's those th- weird one shot videos, but that's three minutes or four minutes of duration of the song. This is two hours. So maybe it's like right off the top, let's maybe we mention that like um, the idea of so this movie is world it's in set in World War One, which is it's not rare to have a war movie. It's relatively rare to have a movie set in the first world war for some reason, I guess, because no one I don't know. World War Two is more exciting or something. Anyway, um, more <laughs> it's like so disgusting to say that's like more people died. Or well, something, the, or I, I think that's it was something like Return that of we'll, the Jedi. That, that's something that will come up today. The. the yeah. The glorification and aestheticization of violence, and the, like as long as cinema has existed, it just whoa, explosions look cool. Uh, yeah, I know. Okay, so there's that. Um, uh, and two, this movie exceptionally is is all quote unquote one take or one shot, even though it's not. It's actually yeah. so they it, use we, tricks. We, we can lay out the basic plot in the, about four minutes, so then we can. Do, move on to details even, even probably less i think it's so the, like, the, the, plot the thing is, is you, you see two soldiers and they're kind of resting uh, they're by a tree yeah. and it, and then the their superior says oh you're on a secret mission and then the guy says okay there's a, there's a huge group of soldiers that want to attack and they think that they're uh, um, that the enemy is on the retreat but it's a trick by the enemy they're on the retreat but they're actually gonna kill them all from afar uh, so you have to get this letter to them to stop the attack. And then it's just two hours of them running around through enemy lines and uh, trying to get the letter there. Yeah, starting in like sort of the trenches, because yeah. it's like First World War, famously, that's like where trench warfare and sort of a lot of modern war tactics emerged. But um, it, the clock starts ticking, so it sets up a natural kind of... It, it, what, in a like way, it's like that movie speed pace. where they, yeah. they're on a bus and they can't slow down below below 50 miles an hour, even if there's anything in front of them. So it, it feels like that. It's like you just have to go no matter what. No, yeah, I think that's a really good uh, comparison. Or like it's the opposite of the TV series 24. <laughs> <laughs> I never saw that. Okay, it's like, but anyway, 24 takes one day. It takes forever to get through it. This takes like three hours well, there's one break in the movie, right, where he gets knocked unconscious. But otherwise, it's like pretty much in real time over the course of like two hours um, or a little over two hours, right? And there is no edits, of course, so it is in real time. But they have this, there, there is an edit, which is he gets knocked out and then he kind of wakes up. Um, so there is one explicit edit 
um, in the film. Yeah. And yeah, he's uh, he sets out with his friend, and of course, like that, his friend is soon dispatched. <laughs> now, you know, his friend is actually was like like from Game of Thrones was one of the Lannister boys or something like that. Yeah. I don't know if you recognized him. No, I, I never saw Game of Thrones. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, I think what's most inter- interesting to like kick off the discussion with is like whether or not the one shot is a gimmick or why does it exist in cinema? Like it's, if you look up if or hear about this film, it's the first thing people mention yeah. to you. They're not like, there was the movie oh, these Bird actors Man are amazing. also had that feeling of the... Did yeah, or... Um, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I For some reason, Birdman's very different in that there's a lot of visual effects kind of yeah. peppered throughout and surreal but, kind but, of stuff. But maybe Birdman sort of it gave it this dreamy feeling. That, you know, mm-hmm. You're not in control yeah. of time and time is in control of you. And yeah, and in Birdman, the there's a lot of. Here? Yeah, Birdman is less, I would say, choreographed. Like, there's more steady cam work, I feel like. I, I have to go back and watch yeah. Birdman, but it's in smaller enclosed spaces. And this is an enclosed trenches, but it opens up. Yeah. Uh, kind of closes but, down. But, but we can break it down a little bit, uh, like, act by act. But overall, it felt like they wanted this movie to feel like the, the sort of. The war just goes on no matter what you do. That's what it feels like. He, he delivers the letter and, uh, spoiler alert, he, he makes it that the attack doesn't happen, so he saves lives. But it's not like a heroic moment where everyone starts hugging each other. It's just like, okay, on to the next thing. And, and the machine yeah. just keeps going. It's kind of like a slice of life, uh, yeah, if your yeah, life but was it, like I, I think, life and I death. I think uh, maybe similar to the Irishman, uh, trying to move away from the heroic moment and more towards like it just goes on and on mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah like and the character is not like some brawny kind of thor ragnarok or something like that he's just like a teenage boy and it's probably one of the nicer things about the film is the reality of the the extras and actors they're all they all look like little kids running in these trenches yeah it's it's uh, terrifying to see yeah and so you're immediately you feel like it's vulnerable. I think <laughs> what that's kind of one of the. Would we have been at age eighteen? <laughs> <laughs> the same ones we'd be now, like terrible, probably. Yeah. Like, um, the, I mean, I don't know if you play video games, but the thought occurred to me when I was watching this movie that it's really uh, inspired, at least for me, like the feeling of playing a video game, which is all first person. But when you die in like Call of Duty or I don't know any of these modern uh, like Battlefield or you know, any of these modern, like, war video games, they usually, like, pull you out of your body and then you, like, follow another character roughly at the same distance that they chose in this film. Like, you'll, like... And the camera will, like, slightly circle them. Mm. just to, But it, there'll, there'll be no cuts. Yeah. Like, it's just, like, a over-the-shoulder kind of shot um, that's slightly kind of swaying or, or turning, going around them 360, which is the exact kind of camera path in this film. Um, while you watch them kind of like battle it out with other players. And uh, yeah, so it was kind of weird for me to like, I I was hearing that the reason they like, they didn't just choose this as a gimmick, you know, like if you think about the plot, right, like the premise, um, the idea of a one shot for this makes some sense, you know, conceptually, because well, it's a it's a mission with a deadline, there's a clear time that he has to arrive before and it's a very dangerous mission. It's almost Clear. It seems very likely that they will die. So while you're watching the film and one of them dies, you're, you're not sure if it will end well. 
Yeah, because every second is kind of on the precipice of like, we don't know what's around the, the other corner because we're basically in the same point of view position as they are, like as if we're the third traveler. Yeah. Um, so it's meant to give you that kind of feeling of like the fear of being in those trenches. I think the idea of a single shot is often used to like evoke this a more quote unquote reality of this of being there. I think that's we got to unpack that. Um, but what to me, what it did was it it uh, gave the feeling of exhaustion mm. that I, I have less in other movies. With maybe Uncut Gems also had, but you're just exhausted after the movie. Well, because you're on edge the whole time. Yeah, of. yeah. There's really. Mm. Uh, um, I think I felt like tension it was building. Like, yeah. there's no way they can survive the next kind of turn, or you know. And and you and you see the futility or the the randomness of death, where um, there's a moment mm-hmm. where they're resting at a farm and a German plane crashes, and they're trying to help the pilot, and, but he's an enemy, and the pilot is he's really barely alive, and he still stabs one of them just. He's just so into the game. <laughs> I guess, yeah, exactly. It's like there's nothing to be gained by it's killing the other person. He's not going to win the war because of it, but he's just like, ah, just one more. What struck me about that scene too is then like this other group of people come along, this other this other military unit, and then they're yeah, like, so yeah, moving looked, on. Yeah. Like, just like drag that body over well, there. We got to the, keep that's going. That's the toxic masculinity angle and this, this stiff upper lip theory where they... So to explain to our listeners... Uh, plane crashes, German plane crashes. The two English soldiers go over to save the pilot from the explosion. They save him, but then instead of saying thank you, he stabs one of them, and, and he dies slowly. The, the 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 two British soldiers, one of them dies, and his friend is still trying to put pressure on the wound, trying to keep him alive, and you see his face losing color, and it's just clear mm-hmm. it's not going to happen. But then uh, uh, another battalion, a group, I don't know what these military terms are, is there and the general of the of the group says, "Oh, uh, don't dwell on it." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is like his best friend. And it's like the opposite of the snowflake generation. Yeah, it's just like you know. Okay, let's move on. I mean, that said, over the holidays, I saw um, another war movie, um, and that I think you know that was written um, prior to nineteen seventeen. Obviously, it was written during the you know the Civil War, and that was Little Women. Um, and that's like that's a book that's been made into films more times than any other actually war movie, which is interesting, right? Because it takes place during the war, but it's from the perspective of women um, who were leading like domestic lives. Um, but there's all kinds of drama that was unfolding within their respective contexts. I think I don't know. I find it interesting that there's always a war movie in theaters. Like, has there ever been a time where there's like yeah, it, not a war movie? But but I think there are th- things in a medium like when you do weaving. It's mm-hmm. very logical to make a checkered pattern. And so there's there's always been checkered patterns for tablecloths and for dresses and for shirts. It's just something that is in the... And it feels like cinema, the same thing. Cinema, just the eye wants movement. And, mm-hmm. and uh, the more, the better. And just... There's a reason people always smoke cigarettes in movies. It's just... It's very beautiful. Apart from... Well, because I was thinking... Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was thinking about this because um, I was thinking of other non-films that are one shot. Like, and the first thought that came to mind was like Michael Snow. He made quite a few like films, actually, that were just one shot, like Wavelength, which is this one really long zoom on a on a like window in a studio. Um, and then... Or like he did... 
he's done other stuff like there's one called Solar Breath, and it's just like watching the curtains in a window. Did he an also open do window, like get, filming uh, fields of grass with the grass waving in the wind? Yeah, exactly yeah. that kind of stuff. Like yeah, Solar Breath is just like curtains getting sucked in and out of the the gap in a window that's open, yeah. right? And it's yeah, like, but that's it a, looks like that's the, a good example of like ideologically, you might ask someone, what's better? Is it conflict or, or peace? Mm-hmm. But peace is also just drinking a cup of tea for two hours and... Well, the point, yeah, that's compelling. the point I was trying to make. Yeah. Well, that's the point I was trying to make, yeah. which is like, so is it, it's not really that... It, so if you do just do Slice of Life, like just before recording this, I was on YouTube kind of surfing around and I was like, oh, look at this binaural recording of New York City during a rainstorm. And I just like watched someone walking beautifully in the rain in New York. And, you know, the counter argument against watching something like that or one of Michael Snow's films or something would be like, I don't want to, you know, that's I, that's the le- reality I live in. I want to be transported, you know, <laughs> without any drama or action. Why don't I just sit there looking you at the wall? You want to have an adventure without any risk. Yeah, but uh, like what's interesting is is how we package up so alternate realities, right? And so the, and the ones that are that's packaged that are packaged most, I guess, are the ones that we're not likely to survive. Uh, it seems like like outside of war movies, it would be like you know car crashes, speed, you know car chases. Um, yeah, I, you know, I always think love of, affairs. You know, how, you know? How, I don't know, like fifty percent of traffic jams is. Like, an accident, and everyone who drives by slows down to see what happened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just this very basic, fundamental human behavior. If you would just put a little temporary wall in front of the crashed car, there would be no traffic jam. It's really well, it brings me back. To, it brings me back to the video games reference, which is if you look at the genres that you know represent the most popular video games, they're all alternate realities that either couldn't exist because they're outside of you know they're like science fiction. Or they couldn't, they could exist, but you would die, right? You need to die over and over and over and over again, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. um, and death. so, yeah, exactly. So, like, it's like a gif for death or gif for risk. It's like, I want these loops that allow me to experience um, what I can't experience or I will only experience once uh, in my lifetime. Yeah. So, you know, get me ready for it. It's like training camp for death or something. I, I, um, I don't know. You probably didn't see this movie. Uh... Ali, Fear Eats the Soul, or did you see it? Oh, no, that sounds really familiar. Is that that's from a couple of years ago, or is that No, recent? it's an old German movie from the 80s, I think. I can't remember if it's uh, Fassbinder or Wim Wenders, one of the two. Mm. And it, right. it's a story of an immigrant, I think he's Turkish, and he falls in love with a German woman, a cleaning lady, just a working-class person. And all her friends are very dismissive of it. And, uh, you know, there's conflict. There's conflict with his friends, but they like each other. Um, but because it's a German movie, maybe maybe because of that, or just because it's not a Hollywood movie, there's no violence or screaming. So there is some conflict. Like the, the cleaning lady goes to work and the other cleaning ladies don't want to sit with her. I see. Uh, like that's about the height of the tension or the drama. But I know that if it had been an American movie, there would have been like maybe a car crash or, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. something like hospitalized yeah. Yeah. and screaming at each other and tears. And he, yeah. it, it's so very similar to like you could approach food and just be like, oh, I found fresh strawberries. That's enough. It's like, no, let's make a. A milkshake with whipped cream and some Oreos, and that's. Uh, but I think, yeah, yeah I, I don't disagree. But I think in addition, there's another piece to this. In addition to the story, 
there is the meth- the like coming back to this one shot idea. I was reading a statistic that the average shot in 1930, like the average cinematic take, was 12 seconds. Mm-hmm. And today, it's only two seconds yes. or yeah. less than two seconds. Yeah. So what is that? You know, why are we? At, why is film cut up so much? Right. Well, then, and, if Francis Ford Coppola has had this remark that with the advent of the computer, the film went from a photographic medium to a painterly medium. Interesting. And so everything's more constructed than that it's documentation of something that really happened. And so yeah. that, well, I mean, that yeah. would partially yeah. explain the frenetic editing, but partially also it's uh, fashion. Well, maybe it's also like, I don't know, if you, I like to go back and look at some, you know, when you go back and look at an earlier film, even just from a few years ago, like I was watching, like we talked about on the last podcast, I was watching clips from the Matrix and the fight scenes, and I was like, ooh, these are really like awkward and slow. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, it, it but they're not well. that, yeah, like, like in the fights, it's like, it looks like they're choreographed and the sound even was not as like, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't as over the top as we have now. Thick, yeah. Yeah. And the cuts weren't as realistic. They're like static, like where now I would expect well, the that, camera that to be like moving like, in and like out of the actors. The, both 1917 and, and Uncut Gems were like a step towards, it felt even more visceral or more real or you're there. Yeah, and so this, yeah, this concept of reality, well, what's interesting just is like, is it the length of the, or duration of the cut, or is it the, you know, because it could also well, be the framing, the no, camera work, the, the action on the, screen. The whole premise of a movie, like, there are no true heroes. Like, it's not like, oh, like the old John Wayne cowboy, and it's like, okay, one guy is going to fix all the problems. That just mm-hmm. doesn't matter how you edit that, that just doesn't seem realistic, because that's not how life works. So right. in, in 1917, where it's like, okay, there's these two guys on a mission, so it seems like classic hero story, but one of them dies and the other one arrives and it's not even a big deal. Um, <laughs> right. That feels closer to my reality than someone is like <laughs> Rambo, like one machine gun killing 2,000 people. And uh, yeah. Well, you know, there's this other thing about when we age, uh, that's kind of interesting. Like, so time you know, even when it's continuous is not continuous, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's a large amount of how we perceive time is based on time is an illusion. It's the sequence of events that occur within that time, right? So like a film can either seem very long or very short, not based on whether it's one shot or whatever. It's like based on what happens in the film, right? Like, so it could, you know, You mean if if a film is packed with content or is kind of empty? Yeah, I think like, you know, saying that's dangerous because you could just like have, you could, you could show a, every different frame could be a shot of a different kind of fruit. And you, you would still think that felt like a really long film. Um, and so narrative arc or, you know, uh, how the, you know, the hero's journey that we joked about on previous uh, podcasts has a lot to do with how we perceive the time, mm. right? Like as if tension builds or tension releases, it reminds right? So me of, denouement. It reminds me of uh, reading about how the Disney studios worked in the beginning um, because they, cartoons traditionally were six minutes. They were shown before the feature film. And then mm. Disney said, you know what? I'm going to make a feature length film. I think Snow White was the first feature length animated film. Because it's very expensive to do yeah. that too. Right? And uh, uh, what was also interesting to me uh, they didn't really make money on the six-minute cartoons. They made money on the physical merchandising. So they broke even on the uh, on the animated films. 
<laughs> and then he took a big risk you know put all the resources and all the investment into uh, Snow White but one of the things he did is that there were so many people working on it and he would pay everyone to come up with gags so there's a moment where the seven dwarves are behind the bed and they look at Snow White and their noses come up and their noses kind of bounce against the edge of the bed and like there's there's if you see those movies now, they feel pretty quick. They're like action-packed. Mm-hmm. The story goes quick. Like every moment, there's another visual gag. So he, yeah. Disney had an instinct even then of like, just, just you know, like uh, more sauce, more, more crunch, more, more flavor. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what's interesting about that too is that in the animated realm, there would be fewer constraints on the performance. Which, and the which goes back to that what I was saying about film becoming more of an animated feature than a traditional Hmm. recorded film. Yeah. No, I think that's really fascinating because ultimately when I saw that 1917, like the hype around it, and, you know, I was talking even to a director this weekend about it and I was like, and he was like, it's just incredible. It's one shot. And I was like, you know what else uh, is incredible? That's one shot. And it, and it, and it it happens every single uh, night is uh, every single theater production on Broadway. And no one's hyping that up. Uh, no one's like, wow, can you imagine? I feel the, the same actors- way with, with the, when people talk about audiophile stuff. And you're like, you know what's really high quality? A symphony <laughs> orchestra without any electricity and just 120 top musicians playing together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. So we get so lost in the media that we forget. you know. And of course, like a lot of uh, early films Jeremy, were just basically... theater is inconvenient. It's not at home. Well, a lot of early movies, as we've discussed, like... I think previously were just they would just film theater, right? Like so they would just yeah. film King Lear on stage and be like, "Oh yeah, yeah like the it's same portable." Way the cars were a motorized carriage in the beginning. Yeah, or here in Toronto you can go see the opera like, you know, the Met at the movie theaters. Like I can see the New York Opera at the mm-hmm. movie theater and I I've never done it. Obviously I find it like crude uh, and unusual, <laughs> but then again, but a sports game is exactly the same it, way. It's it, like It is a conundrum because uh, I was First, a friend was like, oh, we should go see Seinfeld perform because he's, he's playing at the Beacon Theater for a year. And the tickets start at $450. Yeah. And then uh, someone was like, oh, David Byrne has that new show, American Utopia, and he's playing all the Talking Heads songs and it's going to be really good. And the tickets start at $600. So then you realize why they invented the camera and the and recording. No, of course. And like, I mean, I, I go to basketball games here quite often. I, I'm a Raptors fan and but I, you know the tickets minimum. You can't spend less than three hundred dollars to get a decent ticket for just a regular season game. And you're like, wait a second, three hundred dollars? Like, is this really worth it? I can't even see the players as well as I can <laughs> on the TV at home. What am I? What am I buying into? And obviously, you know, you're. It's not just the image that you know you're buying. You're buying the whole experience, and that's what they want you to think. Um, but you know, here's a question for you. If this film, 1917, was available to you as a theme park ride, <laughs> you know, at Disney, would would you would it be more, like a a greater uh, product? Walking than through the trenches. Yeah. yeah. We, maybe we should we should explain a little bit to people who haven't seen the movie. The movie's pretty good at showing how awful war is. Like someone's not even dead yet, and the rats start nibbling at your feet, and you just. That, it's really yeah. There's despair, tons of dead bodies you know, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't. It's horrible. It, it, there's no camaraderie or heroism. Yeah. 
So what do you want me to say? Well, I, I would Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I would want to do a, a ride with like, rats everywhere. And, yeah. Okay, so that's interesting because you know perhaps what we're paying for actually is a little bit of distance, right? A little bit of. It was already a lot. I was like, it's one of those movies you go out and like, ooh. Yeah. Well, I watched um, while I was on the plane to Vancouver this weekend. I watched um, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We're not doing a review for that right now, but. The movie, similar to this one, like kind of builds up in a in a more chauvinist context potentially <laughs> over the period. Have you seen it yet, Quentin yeah. Tarantino's new movie? Yeah. It, you know, like Quentin Tarantino now. I think his one trick is like I'm going to build the tension up, you know, for revenge over the course of two hours, and then I'm going to give the audience like five minutes of completely unbearable violence. <laughs> Instead of um, his old movies where it was just violence for two uh, hours. Violence, yeah, violence for two hours. So because the, the violence is like more, you know, appreciated or I don't know, even more horrible when it's like just a brief kind of glimpse. It's like a yeah, a glimpse yeah, of yeah. some like of an ankle in the Vict- in Victorian, <laughs> you know, France or something like that. It's like, but I I found it actually like pretty hard to watch. To be honest with you, that sequence in in the movie, I had to look away the while I was on throw? the plane. Yeah, yeah. Was, anyway, um, but in this film, I never felt like I had to look away. And if that, if that, and I, I, and yeah, I think that's kind of interesting. It's just suffering more than than violence. I feel like. Well, I was talking to a director, and there are some compromises to the actual storytelling that happen to and that compromises to the visceral and also like the visceral nature of the film in some aspects, right? So, like for example. Um, and by the way, I'm not talking to directors all the time. This just happened. I was shooting this commercial. I was talking to the director about the movie. And basically, like, you know the scene at the beginning? At the beginning of the movie, for our listeners, they go, they get this mission. They walk into a little a dugout, which is a little room off of a, a trench. You end up learning all this, like, language from trench warfare while you're watching the movie. Anyway, they walk into this dugout, and there's, like, a couple captains or three captains there, right, as Raph explained earlier. And they're like, you got to do this mission. And they're referring to a map. There's a map on the table that shows the fronts and stuff, but because it's one shot, they can't cut to a close up of the map, mm-hmm. and so you actually, you know, you actually can't see what they're referring to yeah. because you're almost like three rows back. It's but like you're the basketball that, that game in the nosebleeds. The anxiety of, of not knowing. Yeah, I mean, but in a traditional movie, what they would do is they would. Yeah, they would cut to a close-up, then they cut, you know, reverse cut to the faces of of the boys as they're like, "Oh my God, how are we going to do this?" And then cut back to the captain, like maybe cut to the captain's hand trembling to indicate that he's like, you know, the war has hardened him. I don't know, right? But like, you miss all these detail shots. Like, there's no close-up of any eyes dilating. <laughs> what, what, what's <laughs> you know? funny, what comes to mind for me is that I used to always admire movies so much that, that I, I was like, I hope one day I can make a movie. Yeah. And now as you're discussing this, and I go, oh, thank God I don't work in the movies. Well, yeah. So all yeah. these things you have to think about. So. It, I, actually, so I, like, I've like i referred to it a couple times that I was out in Vancouver shooting this commercial for FreshBooks. And it was like, it was really funny because we were, we did a bunch of, a bunch of commercials, but one of them was the one we were spending the most money on is like set in the forest. And we were setting it up like a horror movie with this woman, she's alone in the forest at her desk. And you're like, why is a woman alone at your desk? And then like this creepy person is like coming out of the smoke with a flashlight. And then, and then they turned out to just be a really friendly uh, FreshBooks employee that's there to help her. So we're cutting this together and it's, there's not that many shots, but uh, like this, we cast this actor to play the FreshBooker 
And we are we are working with um, non-union talent because it's what we could afford for the commercial licenses that we needed and stuff like that. And it was this like really young guy. We cast him based on like how friendly and like you know non-traditional he was. But like we had probably a hundred people on set. <laughs> we had the director of photography from the Avengers movies. We had like these cranes with like you know creating fake moonlight and like lots of pe- like three different people in charge of making smoke on set <laughs> and stuff. And so it comes time for him to to do his lines. You know he stumbles up to the woman and he just like he cannot get it. He keeps like stumbling over the name of the company. He's like Freshnet uh, books <laughs> books books. Uh, Fresh. SNL has a whole series of. Uh, non-actors doing commercials and they get like an old couple to do an ad for a restaurant and they keep saying everything wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it was exactly like that yeah. to the point where I was like both laughing but gritting my teeth with so much frustration. Because you know how much it costs every second. Exactly. It was, yeah, I can I can tell you it was many hundreds of thousands of dollars. I don't want to put pressure on you but we're losing a hundred thousand every second so get your shit together. Basically. Basically. And like everyone was like this guy, he doesn't even fucking know his lines, you know? <laughs> but he's such a nice guy we're all like oh, but he's so cute. <laughs> so anyway, what did we do? We actually had to break his lines up into smaller chunks and then we had to like and do that with cuts right with edits um and then like do it in such a manner where we could overdub his voice but you know there's all these tricks directors have and what that we're used to in movie making to make it a lot less difficult to get the performance down yeah yeah. a lot of times you can just run the camera for a while and you just uh, cut it all together and it's fine with all the mistakes in between we punched in, yeah, we did yeah, a reverse shot. Yeah, we that's had them, like, exactly yeah. why anyone who makes movies and who sees 1917 must be like, how did they ever make this? But for, you know, what, what what's remarkable to me is it does end up coming down to the performances. I was watching a thing where, like, there's that scene at the end when he's running a, sideways to everyone running out of the trenches, yeah. right? He's and running perpendicular. And everything's, it's yeah, like and he a gets ballet. like. Everything's perfectly on time. And, but apparently, like, you know, he stumbles and, and one of the other, you know, um, one of the other soldiers, like, stumbles and hits him and he falls over. That that wasn't supposed to happen, right? That was just because it was random chaos and they decided to run with it. Yeah. Um, and so you couldn't have scripted that, in fact. Did like, you watch the, so the making of? Sort of there's a video on YouTube where they explain, because it's such a weird setup that you, you're like, how did they ever film this? Because the camera's moving through the trenches and already when you see it, you're like... Was someone running with the camera, or how did they do this? No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I did. I did. Wa- I did watch yeah. it. Right, and they do and, a and, bunch of camera handoffs. And they and rehearsed stuff. for six months, almost like a ballet, like or like. But this is what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like no, they rehearsed like a fucking theater production. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, and and it, that's really what it it probably is closest to. It's a theater set in a, on a like on a it's, set. It's a theater, to be but at the same time, the thing that the camera can do with cropping. It's, yeah. it's so different than you could ever have in a theater. Right. Well, yeah, yeah, I guess, like, it, I, it does remind me it, that... It, it's not like... I, I understand your point of, like, the, the theater is a one-shot and we're getting back to that, but there's an emotional intensity that comes with the the selective viewing of a camera where it could just ignore the rest of the room or what's around it. That is well, have so you gone powerful. to, like... Have you gone to like the Phantom of the Opera, like a, one of those types of movies? Well, Phantom I is a specific reference. I just went to the reference. Book of Mormon. Okay, but in the Phantom of the Opera, there's one point in, I hate to spoil what has been a 40-year production, <laughs> but there's one point in the production where 
a chandelier in the actual theater falls on the audience or swings down. And it's very shocking for you. Or oh, when I saw it okay. as a kid, when I saw it as a kid, I was, I was like, whoa, the fourth wall has it's been visceral, broken. Yeah. Perhaps I am actually in the Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think like what you're referring to Maybe is theater kind of... project to do a musical. <laughs> Well, there are also all these productions that reminded me in New York where it's become trendy to do a theatrical production in a hotel or an escape room, for example, is another one of these where the actors and you are interacting together to you know, advance a plot. Um, are you familiar? What's the one in New York yeah, called? Sleep it's, No um, More. Yeah, sleep no more, right? Yeah. Or and then escape rooms, which became popular, you know, for corporate team building, they also now often employ like actors, and there's a plot and there's a timeline. It's counting down, and you're in the middle of it. But I guess it's just the theme park stuff um, come alive. There's something though about cinema that suspends our disbelief because when I've been in those contexts, like even the Phantom of the Opera, which I was just joking about, you're it's so obviously a stage. Like you're, it's so hard to suspend your disbelief. Like even with the escape room stuff, you're kind of like laughing with the actors, like oh look at us, you know. Yeah. Same thing with a the theme park ride, but in the movies, we're willing to be like, you know what, this is serious stuff, people. We got to sit down, <laughs> we got to go with this, and we suspend our disbelief in a manner that I don't know. Outside of maybe, I think probably in art, we do the same thing. Like if you saw a Cindy Sherman photo or Sophie Cal, you know, composition, which is not cinema, you know, it's not cinema in terms of moving image, still image in both those examples. But you still believe like in a Sophie Cal work that uh, that you're that you're in, in these works, just so for our listeners are aware, she hired someone to stalk her like this is the, the piece I'm referring to. I can't remember the name of it, but and take pictures of her around New York. Right. Mm-hmm. And then. But it gives you this perception that you're getting a real slice of her life through this mixed media of photos and diary. And that was re- relatively revolutionary, right? Or in Cindy Sherman, she's like taking photos in un- her untitled film series of herself in contexts that s- appear familiar because they're from like Hitchcock movies and stuff like that. And it feels and so like you, you really feel like you're looking at a movie. Yeah, I think in both cases, you know, on, on two different ends of a spectrum you you suspend whether or not this like the artifice is both visible but like allows you to suspend your disbelief or belief <clears throat> in a manner that allows you to engage with the work for i don't know what the codes are that allow for that though like i'm i'm really interested maybe our audience is interested too and in, like what are the what are the codes like why is a theme park is it because there are like crying babies next to you or like what are the codes that allow you to suspend your belief or your disbelief, um, rather, in in these contexts, like in this film, it would be the re- like the dedication to getting the details right. You think, or something like that. I think it has a lot to do with rhythm. I think this mm. this film is very rhythmic, and that even if you doze off, it's a it's like a concert and a, a really loud concert That's an interesting is point. is yeah. something that you you don't re- you don't have the yeah. It's so overwhelming and operatic that you there's no escape. <clears throat> well, the, it reminds me that in any movie or in any performance of any kind, even like a, if you go see a band play, there's this point at the beginning when you're coming from the real world and you're entering into the theatrical world where you're kind of not sure if you really want to take the leap. At least I am. I'm always like, eh, maybe I'd rather take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then you're like, am I in this? Am I going to get into this? And then once you're in it, time kind of like 
disappears and you're kind of transport you know people yeah, talk about being yeah, yeah. transported yeah it, it, it's weird it's the same weird feeling when you go to the movies during the day and you get out of the movie and it's still daylight and you're like oh yeah where where am i what happened i i have to um, say if i had to review this movie 1917 i just thought of it now it, it really reminds me i saw slayer play in maybe 97 or 98 <laughs> yeah and it's just like two hours of straight just punches and then yeah. you just get out of here like what happened that's what the movie feels like but is that you know maybe that is actually what we're talking about when we talk about um reality it's actually the yeah. opposite it's yeah. alternate reality but also very rhythmic mm-hmm. but i think when you mentioned the symphony performance the same thought occurred to me which is i could listen to a symphony on a headset and be like, or like maybe in a mall and I'd be like, yeah, it's a symphony in the mall. Right. Like, but if I go and I'm really kind of focused on, you know, the rhythm yeah. or becoming a part of the music, my brain is operating the, in a the different The symphony manner. is interesting with the, the John Cage thing, which is very real that the a symphony can well, be yeah. quite quiet. And then if someone coughs, it really, you're so focused on that person. So they have cough drops everywhere. the little candy. Uh, yeah. Cause it's really, well, yeah. um, it, it breaks your concentration. And I think that's the inevitable reference, right? John Cage, um, you know, most famous probably performance, four minutes, 33 seconds, sit down in the middle of, you know, Town Square, Harvard Square famously, you know, don't play a single note on the piano, just hold the finger over the note and then allow the audience in the city to become the symphony, right? And then somehow the city takes on rhythm because of how he timed that work, right? It's actually in three movements. He makes three small adjustments and i don't know i've perf- i've tried performing it just as like with a slide presentation at business conferences <laughs> but it works in that context too what's so amazing is like you take this everyday kind of slice of life life reality and i always do this thing after i do it where i talk to people like what about your experience yeah. and they're like you know they perceive reality differently based there's a, on there's a similar thing that. in the, the movie kill bill i don't know if it's part one or two where mm. uh, uma thurman's character gets buried alive and I hmm. saw it in a theater, and so yeah. there's a, there's a moment, like maybe one minute, where you hear her breathing, but the screen is black. So all of a sudden, your eyes in the theater start to adjust, and you're just looking around, and you're like, "Oh, I'm sitting in a theater. There's popcorn on the floor, and whatever," and you just hear her breathing, but you, you go out of the movie for a minute. Yeah, there's That's not many movies so. that go to complete black for long time no no you're right I'm, I'm trying to i'm racking my brain to think of examples like it's a very unsettling thing because in a, in a way it's the opposite so of the projection john cage, of light where, where john cage stops the audio but the the visual part is exactly the same he doesn't change mm-hmm. that and and in kill bill the the visual is gone but the audio is still there i mean you did a piece uh, that I, is one of my favorite of your artworks where you enter the gallery it's total pitch black and then you just hear a little fly you hear that yeah the, the, the idea is only one person goes in the room at the same time and when that person moves you hear the sound of a mosquito and if the person's standing still it's a silence right yeah and so it makes you very aware of your movements but your what's interesting i would think about it is also like you control a sort of composition or what, rhythm what was also interesting in that installation is that people were trying to figure out the interaction model. So some people thought it would be lasers and they would start crawling on the floor. They're like, I can outsmart the system. And other people yeah. would be scared to walk in because they didn't know how far the room went. And so people respond very differently. 
But ultimately, like, this kind of doubles back on this film, which is like, you know, it, it how important is the technology to, um, or the the manner in which it's filmed uh, to the to the actual sort of effect of the film? Yeah, um, well, this this film is almost not a story, but more of a like, just looking at the medium of cinema and seeing how far you can take it. Like a technical demonstration, you'd say. Yeah, or like a visceral demonstration. I, I don't think this mm-hmm. movie is about the technology, but just. Uh, it's yeah. it's almost like a, a, a the way a painter would make a painting of war, mm-hmm. but more, more you, yeah. it's almost at a level where you would, would take an abstract expressionist painting of war. So you're not yeah. really that's how it feels like, just the impression of it, not the reality. Yeah, I don't know. But it's you know, like good. when you work with with people on like large productions or even small productions, and you pitch them on like, hey, I want to work with you it's far easier to get them to work with you if they feel like you're going to break new ground or you're going to investigate the limits of the media, I find, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, then it, there's a collective uh, excitement. Yeah, I've, and I've always wondered why that is, and I suppose it's not <laughs> I just I always novelty. think about that when they make those straight-to-stream or straight-to-DVD movies, <laughs> and everyone's just like, well... This movie's going to be very average. Let's just do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's just uh, get it over with. Get it in the can. But I guess that's most people's work. It's just like, well, uh, we got to get these things out the door. So, Well, I've often talk, you know, thought about this or been frustrated by it because you know, sometimes I'll, I'll work with folks who are very pragmatic and you know, they get the job done and that's like a kind of job. And then I have always been accused of being idealistic and not at all pragmatic. Like, and my counter argument has always been like kind of the Elizabeth Warren counter argument, which is like, why would you go to all this trouble, you know, of running for president uh, to tell us what we can't do and shouldn't dream about, right? Like she said that in one of the early debates, mm. but you know, really like dreaming of something greater than what's possible. Shoot for uh, the today. moon. Yeah, it's just kind of it. it yeah, these moonshots or whatever you is, want to call them. It's it exciting. is interesting because it it also seems like a very Western train of thought. Like, it's almost colonial when you think yeah. about it because it's like yeah. a sh- it's a I said moonshot right it's like where else can we conquer yeah. well, what but, outer but, limits but uh, um, two things as an artist I think you you will endure a lot more when you feel like there's a higher purpose so if you feel like okay my work is not accepted yet because it's so avant-garde and I'm breaking ground so it, it'll need and that that belief is very important for you to uh, put up with all the discomforts But when I look at work of other artists, a lot of times there are minor works that they weren't trying to save the world or uh, change everything, and those might be even more interesting. It's more innocent and. uh, Well, like the we've talked about Dogma ninety five, like the wedding uh, on this. Is that that's the name of the movie, right? What is no? Is it uh, what's the first Dogma ninety five movie? Is the wedding? Yeah, you know, the idiots. The is yeah right. The idiots. It takes place at a wedding, (laughs) right? But it's all shot on video, handheld. Yeah. Um, and that was, you know, getting us closer to reality, quote unquote, because it like, it took the artifice of the technology of cinema with the gloss and like Mm -hmm. the lighting and everything. Cause you couldn't, that's another thing in this movie, 1917 is that it's not lit. Uh, it's mostly lit naturally. Yeah. um, I I, I really liked part of what the the movie felt like is, uh, the light that I grew up with because I, I grew up with the light of Western Europe and sort of cold and foggy. But the movies you mm-hmm. see are all Hollywood. So they're all high contrast, blue sky. And this movie yeah. was more muted. And uh, and I think that enhanced this sort of feeling of 
you're in a trench, so you don't have an overview. So you uh, you hear things around, but you you don't you don't see the map, you don't see the plan, and you're just trying to. Because the trench wars were really terrible in that they would fight for a year and move like half a meter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it conveyed that feeling of like being in the fog and not having the overview. Yeah, which is what it's like to grow up in the Netherlands, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's something about it that works despite it, you know, really being a technology demonstration. The technology demo, as I've you know, experience sometimes in the history of new media can sometimes the, the media itself, you know, obviously to use, you know, another Marshall McLuhan quote can, can, can kind of contain the message. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's, the, a, it's a tricky position because two years later it might feel expired. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, no one's talking about Birdman as one shot anymore. Right. So, um, and it didn't win like best picture or anything. We reviewed Parasite last week, right? Like there was a lot of hype built up around, um, but it's this definitely a, a, like a, a step in the cutting edge of war movies. Yeah, it also just reminded me that like this quest for reality, whether it's like in the mid 2000s trying to do like live in live online with webcams all around you, including in your toilet or whatever, or, you know, taking three hours to get a slice of like what it would be like to be in the movies. This seems like something that's never going to stop. Right. Like I can. I can feel, I feel like next year, this time, well, it'll have been like, just like in a trench or whatever, like, we'll have taken another tiny step, you know, toward this idea of a shared reality or shared existence. Yeah. Um, to the, you know, obviously, like, I, I can't see that ending anytime soon. It's like why Instagram stories still exist, you know, are so addictive or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, because we crave to see or experience the perspective that we don't have access to right that of another yeah and then it definitely feels like instagram it keeps tricking you and you think like wow that person has an awesome life and then you have to keep thinking no that's not their life it's their instagram well of course yeah and that's like you know why this this idea of one shot being close to reality is such a joke because it's like um obviously a huge number of people work there's a you know to produce this effect there's a dutch uh, photographer uh, art director eric kessels and he made a book of his kids having nosebleeds, just photos of them having nosebleeds. Mm, beautiful. And uh, yeah, he was like, everyone always makes pictures of the happy moments, and that, but you see it and it looks like child abuse, and you're like, what, what has this person done to his kids? He beat them up over the course of 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> but you're not wrong. Like, I, I, I had a teacher in school, he took pictures of, you know, like his dying parents or whatever, right? Like, the, the the average photo is a posed photo and the pose is one that we perform for each other of not even pretending to be happy like just of of a fixed kind of smile obviously with a, and and then there's the crazy shot right the the first photo and then now let's do a crazy one yeah. and the crazy one is even worse than the first <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's even more theatrically absurd yeah but but it's yeah if you think about the influence of war movies on the history of war that must have been profound well, yeah, I was just thinking, like, you take the most and video probably games. both visceral but, like, performatively non-acted experience you could have, right? Like, yeah. one where you're fighting for your life. And then you you kind of reverse engineer that to try and get back to this place where through subtlety, <laughs> you know, right? When you think about it, like, let's remove all of the artifice from this thing that is... But I guess I guess because it gets in the way of what was already a very dramatic time. Um I still think like 
<clears throat> hey, maybe a few like non cliches, like maybe let's do this not as a war movie. Let's not do this as a car chase, but um, there are other experiences out there. And certainly I was a little disappointed again that it was like mostly white actors because they're in the, in the background. You can see like extras from other backgrounds because uh, I think that in the first and second world war, there were many, many people from all over the world fighting together, but we're still seeing um, not to make this political because I know you hate it, but uh, yeah, we're still I don't know the historical like, data is it, of the percentages. Well, there were there were like two hundred or or two hundred or three hundred thousand, um, you know, people of uh, black people in the in in the war. There were also tons of uh, people from India. Well, um, I, I think I think like a million Indians. I think. Oh wow! Well, like okay. That. Yeah. Yeah. And they were just used as uh, uh, the first the people who would go first. I think they fought like alongside. You see them actually in this movie, and I don't know if you noticed, but in a few of the shots, there are extras in the background. Okay. But I, I'm always like, well, why aren't but, they the, the hero? It might have been. Uh, I think that's very difficult now with storytelling because you you say, okay, we have a few options. If we make it that the two, or one of the two people who are fighting are Indian, then that's not representative of the data. Like maybe twenty percent of of the soldiers were people of color, so that would have been... Mm -hmm. And if you do it, then it adds a whole other element to the story, and maybe you just want to dissect the the cruelty of war without race, because you just want to show... Maybe the the director was like, you know what, I just want to show people how much war sucks, because all these movies are glorifying war. And uh, Well, yeah, but the normal conversation is then, like, it'll distract from the film if it's anything other than what what people already expect. If uh, if both the the, the two uh, running soldiers in this movie, one had been from uh, Africa and one had been from India, um, it adds, yeah, I... Ah, I don't want to go in this uh, discussion. It's, yeah, it's yeah. very hot. But, but I, I can it, imagine I, the I, meetings I, where, where they're coming up with the script and they're like, well, actually, sir, about 25% of the soldiers were people of color, so we should cast it that way. And then, uh, yeah. Honestly, I've been, I've been in those meetings, so I can tell you the way it goes is it's, it's, it's uncomfortable, but it's like... That's why I think it's so important that the storytellers are also, you know, from diverse backgrounds. This came up, obviously, because during Oscar season two, right, we talked about last episode, it was a Korean filmmaker telling a story with Asian actors, right? It always feels really uncomfortable if it's the white person casting other roles, um, you know, than they understand, because they're... I wanted to make the point that it comes back to your reality, right? So um, Sam Mendes talked about how um, he... This isn't. This movie's not based on a true story. It's based on um, like stories his grandfather told him. So it's like some of the you know stories his grandfather, who was in the first war, told him. Like this type of stuff happened, and he was like, so it's really based in his kind of family tree experience. But someone from a different, you know, if he tried to tell someone else's story, he might not. Now the story itself, rather mechanical. I feel like you could probably swap people out, but there might have been dimensions that. Just you know, he wouldn't have heard about because he's hearing yeah. it through his. But his it would be funny if you're like, yeah, I want to make a mafia movie, but it's uh, going to be people of color. <laughs> That's well, it's the Italian no, mafia a, that doesn't. There, yeah, yeah, there are some movies like that that are happening, which we'll review. I won't. Um, we'll review in late, at later times, but um, uh, yeah, I think like. I don't know, when I was casting uh, this thing, this commercial with FreshBooks, I was like, mm, this feels a lot like Get Out because we had like um, black actors and white actors and there was like this scary tension that we were building. I was like, um, mm. you know, 
you know, are people going to confuse it with that film? We're trying to do this kind of subtly different thing. And you can't, you can't remove the film from the cultural context, I guess is all I'm saying. Um, And the films that came before it. I think demographics are changing. And so you'll see the stories, attention to stories. So that's the other thing about this movie that's interesting is that we're talking about World War Two and World War One, and we're like, why do people make more movies about World War Two? My grandpa said something, and it's just becoming, it's further and further, and like mm-hmm. the next generation really, be, like they don't know the grandfather that went through World War Two. Yeah, it'll be like my great 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 grandfather. Yeah, went and then this. it's like the Civil War, and then it becomes like, oh yeah, the Romans—they were fighting with the Greek or something, and yeah, and it, I think it we can fades. predict in our lifetime there'll be more stories about the Iraq War based on on this or something yeah you know yeah like, yeah and then just because it, in that's a movie the war. like the iraq war it's it's completely believable to have uh, on the american side to have a diverse cast like, that seems completely well, natural and you you wouldn't well, think twice about it well because i could see this movie definitely having taken place in the syrian refugee crisis because right now like literally people are on the run yeah. right like the front is advancing there's a lot of tension built around that there's people dying all over the place like it's we're you know it's not like this is no, uh, but, not a contemporary uh, story in that I, manner. I was watching The Mandalorian. This is a good example. Uh, we uh, we exchanged passwords with some friends, so someone got HBO and we got Disney Plus from then. So we're watching The Mandalorian, mm-hmm. Baby Yoda, and it's fun. And, and you're the, loving it. And and the, I think we're at episode three or four, and there's some tribe that is threatened by some mean people. Yes. And yes, it's yes. a rural tribe, but the tribe is diverse. There's like one person with red hair some people look more Samoan and some people look more African-American. And when mm-hmm. you think of a small tribe of like 40 people, how can you have that historically? I don't know what the storyline is here. <laughs> it's, it's Mandalorian though. So it's got, it's alternative history. Yeah. But like th- there's that movie 10,000 BC. Have you ever seen, mm-hmm. it's one of the worst movies ever made. And so they, yes. the, the, the tribe looks like they're from Burning Man. So everybody looks different. And some people are more Asian looking, some people more African looking. But historically, just the idea of a primordial tribe cannot be diverse. It's just, that's, you know, there, w- there wasn't an airline that you could go and be. <coughs> right. So uh, I, I don't even know what I'm getting at, but I was watching Mandalorian and it just, the tribe being diverse felt weird. Well, I'm just, I'm surprised that you're willing to watch Disney Plus because you scolded me for it. I know. Well, sometimes you have to, you're married and you have to give in because Baby Yoda is very cute. <laughs> I know, like you're missing this cultural moment. Yeah. Um, but you're going to have to wait until next fall for... We should probably review The Mandalorian. Interesting thing about The Mandalorian, just, I mean, as we're kind of tying things up here, is um, the backgrounds in, in that movie were all shot... Uh, the backgrounds were all created, created in a video game engine. Hmm. They are created in, in an Unreal Engine. Okay. Uh, some of our listeners might like to know that. Um, but so. maybe, maybe what I'm trying to say is that... Um, the world, because of globalization, is becoming more mixed, and the, that's great. And so the, the modern stories will be, by naturally, will just, you know, if you shoot a story in New York, you just have lots of different faces. That's natural. Yes. But if you're doing World War Two, I don't know what the percentages are, and so <clears throat> it's, it's more yeah, complicated. Yeah. But I just think that we're going to stop telling World War Two stories, and we should start, you know, probably not we should, but there will be um, a shift towards... Like we're living, I think, and I I know that Sam Mendes mentioned this too in some of his interviews as well, which is like he wanted this to be a reminder that this that this and that this movie should feel 
fresh and contemporary like it like it could happen today yeah because in his perception like this it, it is felt like a warning s- movie of like, like don't forget how terrible war is yeah yeah of course because we're on the ver- you know potentially on the verge of war with um you know or at least if i mean not where america is on but that'll pull us all in on the verge of war with you know iran and things like that so let's hope that <laughs> Oh, and on um, a more cheerful yeah. note, we'll do a comedy next time. Yes, let's do a comedy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, All right. Um, yeah, I, I don't have more to say about this film, though. I think, yeah. like, I do. I do think, in terms of my review, it's worth. It, it's an interesting film to watch. I don't. You know, there's. No, uh, it, yeah, it, it feels like the type of movie that I went to see it by myself in the theater just to. People told me it's really something you have to see in the theater, and. I'm, I'm glad I saw it, and it's one of those things. It's like, wow, that's the next step in in storytelling and filmmaking. Mm-hmm. But it's not the type of movie where you're with a bunch of friends on Saturday night. It's like, what should we watch? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, I don't think it's, it's the one. A it's a film I'm gonna watch. I don't think it's one I'm gonna watch again either. No, that's the other thing. No, uh, just there's nothing compelling to bring you back no. into it. You think it's kind of like the Shalomalamayan uh, movies that you <laughs> you you just if you know the ending, it's really boring. Um, yeah, I think it's just like the point I would make probably is that, you know, when you do this kind of slice of life reality thing, um, there's nothing that you missed or picked you know, because it's like, it's what your eye could see. Like, you yeah. know, the point of view, it's like, I'm not going to go back and watch me eat breakfast from earlier today. <laughs> um, whereas I think with cinematic composition and, editing like i don't want i don't think those things should be disparaged because those are the modes that was a those were inventions that really pushed cinema uh into new places where cinema is really good at yeah juxtaposition mise-en-scene like all of the things that it allows you to do are are actually pretty pretty thrilling because they allow you to play with time they're very empowering tools for the the history of narrative and storytelling and even for human experience because to imagine a future where, um, you know, if you're going to imagine alternative realities, why would you imagine the reality that you perceive um, in the present when you could theoretically imagine, um, you know, different types of reality? That, like you, maybe you're in, you know, like let's say, like let's take a, a movie probably everyone's seen, like um, Interstellar, where like cinema might attempt to um, portray what it's like to be um, inside of like a uh, like a two, between two dimensions or something like that. Yeah. The fact that cinema even can attempt to do those things, I think I personally find pretty incredible. Um, and, you know, and then the, the next step of logic is like, when, when do we hit the limits of what that media can do? And what are the other media that come yeah. forward? And then now everyone on the, all the VR fanboys and girls on the <laughs> other end of this podcast, are like it's VR jab, don't you get it? It's mixed reality. <laughs> And obviously, I'm a fan of like that's the always been reality the, the critique of, of, of uh, VR movies is like where do we put the cuts? Well, that's the thing. Yeah, uh, yeah this is like a whole you know other long conversation. But like, if this movie was in, you could have put this movie in VR. Probably you could have shot it with a 360 camera. Obviously, the camera is directing your attention uh, a little bit, but there wasn't you know like when the plane, cra- the German plane crashes and stuff like that. There, I could feel, I felt like this game could, this, sorry, I said this game, this film could have been a game, could have been a video mm-hmm. game. In fact, I'd be surprised if, you know, the next Call of Duty or Battlefield or whatever, like, tries to recreate some of what's in here. It, but I've had yeah. this experience in those games. It is interesting that we keep, our lives are pretty comfortable and we go to the movies for stress. 
Yeah. 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 That's what I'm saying. Like, it's the, um, we're the billionaires that just want, like, to feel alive. <laughs> you know, we're like, oh, just give me a hit of cocaine and slap me, me on right the face. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I want to feel on the edge of my life. Yeah. yeah. Take me out of my cocoon. Anyway, uh, great chatting. Yeah. Um, and thank you for listening. Um, Hey, one thing we did last episode that I'd like to encourage our listeners to do is like, if there's a message you want to get out to the world, whether that's like oh, you yeah. have an art exhibition or, um, do. I don't if know, you maybe you just want to least popular podcast. Yeah. yeah, exactly. If you want to reach like a couple hundred people, actually, we have quite a few more <laughs> listeners than that. But if, <laughs> but whatever you want to say, you could even just say you could even even say hello. We really want to uh, make sure we include um, or make this feel like more communal. Ultimately, for Raf and I, um, we really appreciate hearing from all of you. So yep. please um, reach out, make your suggestions you for what we could tweet, do next. We'll see it. Yeah, yeah, whatever it is. Um, and you know, we're not doing the ambient recordings, but frankly, if you sent in an ambient recording, we would probably <laughs> we would yeah. probably play it again. The field recordings that we used to do um, would be cool to get like field recordings, maybe from like different cinemas and things like that. Yeah. Um, I think it's very tricky. If you- you're recording in a cinema, you get a lot. Oh, of, it's also you illegal. Be thrown out, yeah. <laughs> so don't do that. Well, maybe if cinema lobbies. Ooh, I wonder what like a. I wonder what a lobby sounds like. If it sounds different, like in Germany, than it does in Bangalore or in Brazil. Yeah, please send Mexico. us everything. Okay. Anyway. All right. Um, thank you for listening. Bye bye. Um, thanks. Bye. Ciao.